Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. If no one has done so yet, let me wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Uh, I don't know, some people feel like you can't do that until the week of. Uh, but that doesn't work. And here's the thing. I know that since we're in the heart of the Christmas season, that a lot of people are going to have a lot of things going on. How many people do, like, work Christmas parties? No one? A couple people? Like, gatherings? Yeah. Uh, work Christmas parties. How many people are still buying gifts for people for Christmas? Okay. Um, and all the husbands, we're done. We, we, we got that covered, just in case you were wondering. Uh, but also, just to bring up to speed, even here and within other local congregations, churches, we're doing busy as well. Uh, for example, uh, tonight at Elizabeth Baptist Church, there's a Christmas choir festival, and it starts at, I want to say 6. Could be wrong. I think it starts at 6. I'll double-check that. But it starts at 6 at Elizabeth Baptist. And this is the thing they've been doing for, I want to say, like 30 some odd years, uh, and when we first started doing it, or at least when I got here and first started doing it, there were like eight, nine, ten different choirs that would perform, and musical performances, of course, then us, with drums and all this kind of stuff, uh, and I think we missed last year because we didn't have enough time to prepare, and then this year, we're doing the total opposite of a choir. It's like all electric, everything, drums, all kind of stuff. Uh, so pray for us that they allow us to come back. But um, also, as, as I said, Upper Room, they're having their Christmas party, and, uh, you know, you guys are all invited to that. So this time of the year gets extremely busy for everybody, even for, like, non-Christians, extremely busy because they want to decorate, they want to do the Santa Claus stuff and everything. And we tend to get so focused on the celebrating that we miss the proclaiming the story of Christmas. Uh, and we do, like, um, the celebrate, you know, publicly acknowledge, uh, happy, happy, joy, joy, social gatherings. Everybody does that without a problem. I have not heard or talked to anyone that didn't know how to celebrate Christmas. The rejoicing, the parties, the work, a home, all that stuff goes off without a hitch. But there's also the proclaiming part. The announcing officially or publicly that, yeah, this is why we're celebrating. It's because Jesus Christ was born, because God was born in the flesh. The declaring something one considers important with due emphasis. And, and I think sometimes it may get a little bit lost because we think, yeah, you know, God was born in the flesh. But from a scientific standpoint, from a, from a physical standpoint, this was like a disruption of the universe itself. Because the God who created all things, who created the universe, who put the stars in the skies, who, who did all that, when you see like photos from NASA of galaxies and you say, oh, that's just awesome, that's all God. And the God who created that and who created time stepped in into time from eternity. And when you read, uh, I mean, and it doesn't make sense to us, but when you read in the Bible about how, you know, even the rocks will cry out and praise God, like 
everything in the universe should and does give glory and honor to God except for humanity. Because some people choose, ah, I don't need God. And so God stepped into eternity or stepped out of eternity into time. And that in itself is just like mind-boggling to understand that he did that. And the only reason he did it is for us. That the God who was, who was, who was worthy of all worship, that, that host, and we don't know the number, but millions, or you could go billions upon billions of angelic creatures, some with wings, some with weird heads and all these things, bow down and worship him. And he left all that for us. Now, if you look in the book of Philippians, uh, here's what it says. In, in Philippians, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he says, let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind, this is the amplified version of the Bible, and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. He says, let him be your example in humility. This is the example that we're supposed to have. Who Jesus, let him be your example in humility, who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God. Now, he was, I mean, it's basically, he was God. Now, there's, you know, one God, but there are three who's. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three who's. And he didn't think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. And here's what, what's mind-boggling. But stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. All, everything in existence gives worship and glory and honor to God. And he said, I'm going to leave all that and step down amongst humanity, which doesn't even acknowledge me as God. So as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. So the God who created humanity was now subject to the whims of humanity, which is why he was beaten and bruised and killed. The God who never had to eat, who never had to worry about time, who never had to do anything other than be God, now had to worry about whether or not people liked him, uh, had to be born as a baby. The God who created humanity had to be nursed into adulthood. And from a spiritual standpoint, all of this was prophesied. It wasn't that God didn't want humanity to know this was what's going to happen. Here's uh, what it tells us in Matthew. And if you have a Bible, pull it out because we're going to go to the book of Luke. So if you want to jump ahead and turn to the book of Luke. But here's what we read in Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, and many of us are familiar with this, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Now, when we are betrothed to people or engaged, as we use it, um, we do things differently than what they did. When someone was betrothed to someone, basically what would happen was is that the parents would say, hey, this child and this child, they'd make a good couple. And so they would have like an unofficial sort of contract saying that they were going to be married. And if you think of it this way, uh, how many people, not how many people did it, but how many people are aware of online dating? Okay, yeah. 
if you think of it, they were online dating, but the parents were the internet. So the guy would go through his parents, the girl would go through his parents. They wouldn't meet, but they would, they would even talk through the parents. So instead of sending you know, messages back and forth through the internet, they were sending them through the parents. Uh, and then they would say, it was literally considered an official contract. Once the parents agreed and the kids say, yep, we're on board, then they'd say, okay, you guys are going to be married. And it was considered in a contract. So they wouldn't have, uh, like most people do today, you know, third date coitus, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, It's <laughs> what it is. But they would just continue to dialogue. They wouldn't even spend a lot of time together until the time came to be married. So before they came together, she, Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And the reason he would have to divorce her is because they technically had a binding contract. So as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord. Now, an angel is a messenger. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But an angel is a messenger appeared to him in a dream. And the thing is, we tend to think that angels, like uh, God created, we think of angel as, you know, this big guy with a sword and wings, and in my head, they have like laser guns and all kind of cool stuff, the feathers shoot darts, but they're this big, gigantic thing, but if you look in the book of Revelations, and they talk about angelic beings, and you, some of you guys may remember when we did the series on angels, talking about all the different classes of angels, they talk about creatures with multiple heads and claws and all kind of things that were worshiping God on the throne. But this particular angel, and they didn't just come and show up to people. They showed up in dreams. This particular angel, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And the prophet he is referring to is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, you don't have to turn there, but the reason why this prophecy was given to Isaiah was because Isaiah went to King Hezekiah, who was in the midst of his nation being overrun, like Israel was being attacked. And they were scared, like, can even God protect us from another nation coming in and overtaking our nation? And so God sent Isaiah to tell the people of Israel, hey, I am able to do that and more. And here's a sign, not just that you will be delivered from this war. And he did tell him, here's what's going to happen for this war. But that I am going to be faithful to you as a people for all eternity. And he said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of controversy because some people say, well, that's not the word virgin when it translates from Hebrew into English. And they're right. It's not our English word virgin. But it is a word that they applied to a, we're in church, so I'm trying to word this correctly, that they would apply to a woman who was of an age to have 
coitus, but had never had coitus. So I don't know what phrase we use for that today, uh, but if you could say like a, a woman who is, I have no idea. I, I guess I, I think my wife is telling me just stop there. So um, I don't know what phrase we would use today, but whatever that phrase is for a woman who is of age to have coitus but has never had coitus, that's the word that they used, and they only applied it to a woman who was of an age to have coitus and never had coitus. It didn't mean the word. It doesn't translate into the word virgin, but the word it translated to was only applied to a woman who was a virgin. Does that make sense? And God said that's going to be the sign because she is that woman when she's of age and a virgin, will give birth, and that will be a sign to you, be a proclamation that, hey, I, God, am faithful to do all that I said that I would do. Now, today, we're supposed to be the ones, when we look forward to this Christmas and the celebration, that are supposed to proclaim that God is able to do all that he said he could do. And if you look at this word, proclaim, the word is used over 160 times throughout the Bible. Proclaim it from the mountains. Proclaim it from the rooftops. Let heaven and earth proclaim over and over and over. God is saying, let it be proclaimed. And the first time, the very first time the word is used is in the book of Exodus. And here's what it says. Exodus chapter 9. Now this is, how many people remember the, the Ten Commandments? And most of us, when we do, we think of the Charlton Heston version because that's the classic and the best one. Uh, the animated one was okay, but like Charlton, Helton, he, he, Charlton Heston, he nailed that. But anyway, this is right after the seventh plague. And God is saying to Moses, you need to go talk to Pharaoh and tell him this. And this is what he says, verse 15. For by now, now, meaning this is the seventh plague, I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Now, this is the English Standard Version, just plain old English. Here's the thing. God was saying, you know what? My point in these plagues is not to destroy you. Because God said, if I wanted to wipe out the nation of Egypt, could have been done already. Easy to do. Not a problem for God. But he says, for this purpose, the reason why I'm having these plagues, the reason why we're going through this, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The reason that God, and now there, there's a lot of dialogue of it because some people say, well, this is why he raised Egypt up, the nation, so that his name might be proclaimed. Other people say, no, he was just talking specifically to Pharaoh in either case because he did the same thing with uh, the nation of Babylon. And he told Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler of Babylon, the reason why I have raised you up is so that my name might be proclaimed. And he's telling, whether he's telling Pharaoh or whether he's telling, like, the entire nation of Egypt, he says, the reason that you're going through this, because if I wanted you dead, it would have been done. You're going through this so that my name might be proclaimed. And here's the thing. It worked. It worked. Because 40 years later... After the Israelites left Egypt, then Joshua, how many people remember the story of Joshua? He sends out the spies into the promised land to go check it out. And here's what we read in the book of Joshua. They went to, and I have no idea why when the spies went out, they decided, let's go check out Rahab the prostitute's house 
have no idea. There's a lot of sex in this sermon. But anyway, um, before the men lay down, she, she, had, she hid them on the roof. And before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know, not I think, not I'm guessing, but I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And here's why. She said, for we have heard, this is 40 years later, 40 years after they left Egypt, 40 years after the plagues, 40 years after the the, the parting of the Red Sea, but she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, meaning those nations God wiped out. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, get this, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. It worked. God's name and his power and his might had been proclaimed. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be the people from a Christmas perspective, because that's what we're talking about now, to go out. It's great that we get to celebrate at work and celebrate at home and do the gift thing, but if we're just doing the celebrating without the proclaiming, we're missing the point of Christmas. Now, open your Bibles to the book of Luke, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up with, with this. Luke chapter 2, Christmas story. Many of us are familiar with it. And in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because it belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Excuse me. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared, another messenger from God, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For all the people of Israel at that time, for all the people that are hearing this afterwards, for you and me and everyone who we share this Christmas story with. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. That word literally literally means Messiah, which was who the entire people of Israel had been waiting for. God promised, I'm going to send a Messiah to deliver you. And the angel showed up to say, hey, he was born. He's here today. God has been faithful to his promise. He says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They didn't just stop and celebrate. They went out and proclaimed to other people, hey, Christ the Lord has been born. Verse 19, but Mary, oh, excuse me, verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. So they followed the protocol or the program, if you will. Uh, They had the birth of Christ proclaimed to them. They went out to other people and proclaimed Christ the Savior is born. And then they spent their time rejoicing and celebrating about the birth of Christ. Now, I want to share something with you. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to share something with you uh, because there's a, a, a sort of a real world maybe not very recent because this is in the 1800s, uh, scenario of this. And, and, and John Francis Wade was the name of a scribe in the 1800s. Uh, at this time, there was not a lot of printing going on. You couldn't go to your cell phone or whatever and print out whatever you wanted. So you would have to call a scribe someone to, if you wanted something written or copied, you'd have to call a scribe to do it. And this, uh, John Francis Wade was a scribe. He was apparently very well known. He worked in several languages. He also copied music manuscripts. So he was in demand by choir leaders, institutions of learning, churches, and wealthy families. And he worked mostly in his native England, but also ventured as far as France, Western European countries, all over the place. Now, he didn't spend all of his time just copying works because in 1750, Uh, He prepared part of a manuscript for a college in Lisbon, Portugal, that he included that he had wrote himself. And this is what he wrote. Adesti fidelis leit triumphatis veniti veniti in Bethlehem. Which I probably butchered every word up there except in and Bethlehem. But in English, what it translates to is, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Now, he, he also wrote the music that goes along with it, and it didn't become popular until someone else took those words and those music and made it popular. And even today, there's a lot of debate on whether or not uh, he wrote it, whether or not someone else wrote it. But No matter what you look at, it was a proclamation for all those who believe or had been waiting to come and rejoice and celebrate because Christ the Savior had been born. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just sing this song again. God, we thank you so much that during this season, there is so much that we are looking forward to. 
to celebrating, uh, whether it be with Elizabeth Baptist tonight, to celebrating here at Upper Room, to celebrating at the work parties that we do, to celebrating uh, at the parties of family and friends. We're looking forward to it. We're excited about it. But God, please do not let us forget to proclaim that Christ the Savior is born, that the God we serve is faithful, and that he can and will and has kept his word to humanity, and that all who are welcome, all who are willing, all who are searching to know the love of Jesus Christ, that this is the time to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.